our heads in a word of prayer. God, thank you for this amazing day you've given to us. Thanks for the opportunity to be here together just to worship you. And Father, we just thank you for every single person who's here. We thank you for those who are who are at graduation, Lord God, and all the things that are going on. And just pray that you would give each ward a wonderful day. Lord God, that you'd open up our hearts and our minds right now for what you want to say to us. We praise you. We love you in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. <clears throat> so this morning... We're going to continue our series, Consumed. And the idea of this whole series is, what does it mean to live every moment in the presence of God? Not just at church, not just, you know, when we're here on Sunday mornings or in Bible studies or in life groups, but every single day at work, at home, at school. You know, we talked a lot about this uh, in the last few weeks, and I've had people come to me and say, you know, it's tough. We're really trying to live this out. I'm trying to go to work and live this out. And it's it's challenging because, you know, you go into a, a, an environment that's not a church environment, if you will, a spiritual environment, if you will, normally. And it's tough to bring Christ into that environment and have those people, you know, just accept it or not take advantage or whatever the case may be. It is not easy to do what we're talking about doing, being in the presence of God, thinking through how would Jesus have me handle this Wherever we go, in whatever situation we find ourselves in. The question I want to answer this morning really is, what keeps us from the presence of God? What is it, okay, that is keeping me, you, that is keeping us from the presence of God? I want to read from Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the other wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, listen to these words, Did God really say... Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say you must not eat fruit from the trees that are in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Adam and Eve walked in obedience for God. And for a time, for a time, they experienced the presence of God. They experienced God's presence, the presence of the one that they loved so much. And, and they experienced this, this wholeness, this oneness with each other that was beyond our imagination. Beyond what really we can almost comprehend. They were in, they dwelled in the presence of God. As they lived in obedience to God, they dwelled in the presence of God. They enjoyed not only God's presence, but also his provision. God provided everything that they needed. But then they made a choice to leave the path of obedience. And because they made a choice to leave the path of obedience, they were cut off from the intimate presence that they once enjoyed with God the Father. 
It's hard to it's hard to fathom the experience that they had being truly constantly always as a part of the natural order being in the presence of God. But once they made that choice, they were separated from fellowship with him. They were separated from the very source of life itself. That's what that brought about, the separation, the very source of life itself. When you read the creation story in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, it says over and over and over again, and it was good. And it was good. And it was very good. What that means is that God made everything according to his design, okay, according to his, his, his purpose and his design to fulfill his purposes in this life. It is good. There was nothing, there was, there was, there was nothing that God intended to make that was left out. It was complete. Everything that was needed was there. It was complete. God had created the world and everything in it in a way that resulted in man's good, in our good, in, human, in, uh, in humanity, for, for man's good and for God's glory. Nothing that needed to be there was not there. It was complete. We were created to dwell in the presence of God. We were created. Cr- all of us, we were the, the, the design. God's design was that we were to dwell in the presence of God. You know, it's amazing. I sometimes I, I listen to the news or I hear people talk and I find it amazing to, to listen to people's hearts. And you may not agree with their 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 politics. You may not agree with their philosophy. And I don't agree with a lot of the politics and philosophy. I really don't. But I find it fascinating that people are longing for something that God has truly placed in our hearts. Ultimately, what they're searching for will come when Christ returns and not until then. But they're searching for this utopia. It's where communism comes from. The idea that one day everything's going to be fair. One day everyone's going to share everything. One day everyone's going to be equal in a sense of and all these things. It's like a utopian idea. And they'll, they'll fight and they'll bloody each other over this idea that one day if we would just come together and if we would just evolve far enough along, this, we're going to create this utopian society. Where that comes from is that we're created in the image of God and we know that should be the natural state. That should be how we live. And one day when Christ returns, we will have that, but not until then. But I find it fascinating to watch throughout history people's concepts and their ideas and their philosophies leading in that direction, just in many times not really the, the right way, if you will. So we were created to dwell in the very presence of God. God's greatest gift to mankind was himself. That was his greatest gift. God was was what mankind needed to bring about the, the joy and the peace and the contentment and the fulfillment and the freedom that we, we all truly desire. God's greatest gift to us is himself. It's why God warned Adam and Eve that disobedience would lead to death. When Adam and Eve chose to disobey God's command, they didn't die physically immediately. We know that. They didn't die immediately. But the reality is their very source of life 
was cut off. They, they are no longer in the presence. They were separated from God. They were no longer in the presence of God as they were before. It's why Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth and the life. You know, Jesus doesn't make up these words. They all have meaning. I am the way, the truth and the life. What the first Adam caused, that separation, the second Adam, Jesus restored. The first Adam caused the separation between us and the father. The second Adam, Jesus, the Bible calls Jesus the second Adam. The second Adam restored what the first Adam had lost. So Jesus comes and says, I am the way, the truth and the life. Adam and Eve were cut off from the very source of life. And Jesus is saying to all of us, I can restore what was taken from you. And ultimately, okay, ultimately, he will restore it completely. So like them, we make decisions to disobey God. And we make those decisions to disobey God. We only, we only get a glimpse of the fellowship and the, and the intimacy that we could truly have. When we choose to disobey God's commands, when we choose to disobey God, we, we, we lose so much and we only get just a, it's like putting on the different kind of glasses, if you will. We only get a glimpse, just a glimpse of what it could be like. That's why we're in this series. What does it mean to live in the presence of God? What does it mean to dwell in the presence of God? It's, it's transforming. Those who spend the time to invest their lives in what it means to live in the presence of God at every moment of their lives. And I'm going to tell you, this is extremely difficult. I have a men's Bible study at seven o'clock on Wednesday mornings. We talk about this. We go through this. And every to a man, they said, it's hard. It's hard to be in the presence of God when I'm at work. It's hard to stay in the presence of God when I'm in, when I'm at home sometimes in my family situation. It's very difficult. It is, but it can be attained where we try to live every moment in the presence of God. But when we are disobedient, we are pulled back from that presence. We only get a glimpse of the intimacy that we could have. So the question is, how did this happen? Okay, how did this happen? How could Adam and Eve choose to walk away from the purity of the fellowship that they once had? How could they choose to do that? Well, this morning, I want to spend the rest of our time looking at three choices, okay, that keep us from the presence of God, using them as an example. Three choices that keep you and I from dwelling moment by moment, day by day in the presence of God. Number one, the choice to doubt God's word. Number one, first and foremost, the choice to doubt God's word. Adam and Eve were not confused about what God had commanded them not to do. There was no confusion. God, God didn't hide himself from them. He didn't hide himself and he didn't hide his truth and the expectations there. There was no hiding. Satan comes and tempted them. And the temptation was by it was introducing doubt about God's word. That's the that is the ultimate temptation. The temptation comes in trying to get them to doubt God's word. And what does he say? Did God did God really say? Did did God really say? I want you to keep that that whole that thought that 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 comment that question in your mind. Did God really say? We see this pattern throughout history when it comes to the evil one, when it comes to interacting. Remember that. Remember how Jesus uh, was tempted by by the by Satan. All right. 
Just keep that thought in your mind. Jesus was tempted by Satan. Satan comes along and tempts Jesus. Do you remember Jesus' response to Satan's temptations? In Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, I'm going to read the first four verses and it goes on, but I'll read the first four. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After, 40, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. I find that fascinating based upon what we read in Genesis. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And if you read on all the way through verse 11 or so, Satan continues to tempt him, okay? And Jesus continues to quote scripture. So the temptation, quoting scripture. The, and I'll tell you something else. It's the, and Satan misquoting scripture, if you will, and Jesus correcting him and quoting scripture back. Here, here's the deal. When faced with temptation, when we're faith, faced with confusion, our greatest defense is God's word. When we are faced with temptation and confusion, our greatest defense is God's word. See, when we're in the presence of God, his word is close to our minds and close to our hearts. When we enter into the presence of God, his, his word is close to our minds and it's close to our hearts. And when we are in the presence of God, it allows us to make healthy decisions. When we are not in the presence of God, we do not make healthy decisions. We need, that's why we need to live not just the moments here that we're in church, but every moment that we can. And this is a lifelong endeavor, okay? This is not easy, but when we go to work, we, we should try to live that time at work in the presence of God, making decisions based upon how God would have us live. When that coworker comes and is, you know, some of you guys work in such dysfunctional settings, environments at work. But do you then enter into that dysfunction? Do you enter into the gossip? Do you enter into all the, all the stuff that's going on? Or do you try to bring Christ into that situation? You don't have to say, well, what Jesus would do in this situation. I'm not saying you have to say that. What I'm saying is you have to live that out in your life. How would God have me handle when someone's butchering someone else verbally when they're not around? How would God have me handle that? It's bringing him in, and, and when you bring Christ into those situations, your mind becomes clearer and you make healthy, healthy choices. But doubt leads to confusion. Doubt, doubting the word of God leads to confusion. Well, what choices should I make? And, and confusion leads to disobedience. Doubt leads to confusion. Whenever you're confused, okay, understand something. God is not a confusing God. All right, he doesn't love to throw in us into total confusion. The enemy loves to throw us into confusion. Don't make choices when you're confused. Okay, spend time in the presence of God, get a clear thought in your mind and make healthy choices. But temptation, temptation leads to confusion and confusion leads to disobedience. We see this on so many levels in our culture today. We honestly, we see this today uh, from our, our, our cultural, if you will, cultural, all the different cultural fronts. Compromise is everywhere and it continues to spread. I hear it consistently, consistently. Okay, let me kind of explain what I mean. 
Today, this whole idea, did God really say, it comes out more like this. Does the Bible really actually say, bang, bang, bang. Does the Bible actually say that? Or someone will say to you, you know, I know I was talking to someone and they said, and they always preface it by saying, and this Bible, this guy's read the Bible like twice through all the way. They've read, and anybody that tells you someone's read the Bible through twice all the way, don't listen to the next thing they say, okay? Because you can read the Bible two or three times. You should read the Bible. But you should be reading the Bible consistently all the time. You just don't go from, the, from Genesis to Revelation. You're constantly reading it and studying it and trying to understand what it means and you're doing Bible studies. So when someone throws it out and they say, well, so I was talking to someone and they, actually, they said that the Bible doesn't actually say. Never, the Bible actually never says this. So let me give you a few of my, my favorite highlights of what the Bible actually doesn't say. The Bible doesn't say you, 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 that foul, using foul language is wrong. That's not, the Bible never says that. It never says that using foul language is wrong. Oh, it doesn't? Well, let me read you a couple of things. Ephesians 4.29. Do not, and listen to my words, okay? Listen to the words that I'm reading to you. I said, I said it like the last couple of months. Using the word all or any from me would probably be not a good idea because I have you know, weaknesses and sins and I shouldn't use generalizations like that. The Bible, on the other hand, really should because it helps us. Here's what it says. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only, only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. Ephesians 5.4 Nor should there be, now let's broaden this out, there should be obscenity, Foolish talk or coarse joking. Do you hear the one about the priest and the, right? And then blah, blah, blah. And the woman came in and she, blah, you know what I'm saying? And at coarse, ha, 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 ha. Okay. Coarse joking. Any kind of like sexually explicit kind of things, joking. It says obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. Colossians 3, 8 through 10. Now you must rid yourselves. Of all, again, let's use the word all right there, such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Filthy language from your lips. People say, well, this is just cultural things, and you, you give meaning to this word, and you give meaning to that word, and that's why it's whatever. Well, if I start calling you something nasty, I don't care what meaning I give to it. Okay, the Bible's talking about all and anything that would be vulgar or nasty or or here. Let me here's a good way to 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 make my point. I think if you think using foul, the Bible talk about foul language and cultural this and cultural that, then I want you to teach your child not to say mommy and daddy the first words out of their mouth. I want you to get a list of all the words you think are totally appropriate. Teach your kid to drop the F-bomb right away. My first his first words were. Right? You're like, that's ridiculous. Why is that ridiculous? If it's not wrong, if it's not, if it's not a sin, if it's, it's all fine, it's just whatever, then, then teach your kids those words. Don't teach your kids those words, for goodness sake, okay? Right? When Josh, when Josh, now I owe him $10, so I use his name. When Josh was like really little, he, he could not say the word frog very well. Okay? So he would run around. The, we have a little pond in the backyard, and there are lots of frogs. And every time we see, he saw a frog, he wouldn't say frog. He'd use the F word because he didn't know. He would just yell, run around the backyard, frog, but it wasn't frog. 
And we're like, no, no, no. We said, they're not fro- They're toads. Toads. There's no such thing as a frog until you learn how to say it, okay? They're toads. Pat, there's the pastor's kid in the backyard. Frog, frog, frog. You know what I mean? I'm like, oh my goodness. All toads. They're all toads. All right. And then I, another one I, I love is the Bible doesn't say you can't get drunk. The Bible doesn't say anything about that. It doesn't say anything about that. Now, let me say again. I said this in the first service. I'm going to say it again. Um, I am not talking about having a glass of wine at dinner. I'm not talking about you and your brother-in-law sitting there having a beer when you're watching the football game. I'm not arguing. I'm not being legalistic in, in using these. I'm using them as an example. Okay. So don't accuse me of legalism. The Bible, people tell me all the time, well, the Bible doesn't say anything about getting drunk and blah, 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 blah. Oh, okay, Ephesians 5.18. Do not get drunk with wine, for it is debauchery. Look up the word, not right now, but later on. Look up the word debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit. Galatians 5.21. Envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Proverbs 20, verse 1. Wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it will, is not wise. All right? There's a difference between having a glass of wine and getting, and I'm going to, actually, I decide I'm going to do a whole sermon on that so we can get clarity around that. Because I, I don't like when people accuse me of being legalistic and being this and being, I'm not being anything. I'm just, I just know the word of God. I know what it says. And so that when people tell you, oh, the Bible doesn't say this and the Bible doesn't talk, the Bible doesn't say you can't, the Bible, read it, read it, go and look it up, read it for yourself. People say, the Bible doesn't say anything, you're allowed to have sex for you. Having sex, you know, it's totally, as long as two people love each other and marriage doesn't matter, marriage is not important, that's not what the Bible says, blah, 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 Hebrews 13, 4. Marriage should be honored by, wait, there's that word again, all and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Ephesians 5, verse 3. But listen to this. But among you, there must not even be a, look at that word, hint. You want to define the word hint? Not even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or greed, greed meaning not like greedy for money, greed actually seeking after the desires of your own flesh kind of thing and wanting, I want, I want that person, I'm going to take that person. Given the opportunity, I'm going to take that person. Greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. You, well, you know, God's a big cosmic killjoy, and that's why, no, 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 time out here. If this is, we're talking a hint, okay? God is saying, let there not be a hint. Why? Because a hint is like dancing along the edge of a cliff. A 300-foot cliff with spikes sticking out the bottom, all right? If you're dancing along the edge, if he says, hey, don't worry about anything, just don't do this. He says, wait, time out. A hint starts here. So if this is the edge where I don't want you to go over the edge, here's where I want you to be. Here's where I want for God's holy people to be. I want you to be back here. I want to protect you because the world is filled with difficulties and I want to keep you safe. I love you so much. I know if you make these choices, here is going to be the end result. I love you too much for that. It's not because he's some cosmic killjoy. It's because he loves us so much. Do you tell your children not to run in the middle of the street because you're just a, you're just, you're, you, you parents are so annoying. You're just a killjoy. The street is a wonderful place to play kickball. The street is a wonder... Jog, jog, 
hey, stop telling your children to don't run on the street or don't do this. Or why do you tell them that? Because you're such a mean person who wants nothing more than to ruin your child's life and make them miserable for all time. Right. Is that why you do it? Right. We know why. Because you love them so much. Well, you think to yourself, well, here, here's the deal, Jeff. Uh, that was back then that was different, but things have changed. Things have changed now culturally, cultural this and cultural. That. Now things are different. Now love is love and this, that and the other thing or whatever else. Wait, I hear something. What is it? I hear something. Did God really say? Did God really say? The Bible doesn't actually, if you really, if you, let me just twist and turn a little bit and I will make everything turn out just wonderful. Here's my point, And I want you leaving here without understanding this. We, I make mistakes. You make mistakes. We all fail. We, we think the wrong things. We do the wrong things. We do that a lot, right? We make mistakes. That's not what I'm talking about. Because the Bible says there is one who goes to the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one who goes to the Father in our defense, right? Jesus Christ, when we fall, when we make mistakes, we ask for forgiveness. Jesus Christ, the righteous one, goes to the Father in our defense. The Bible tells me there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because of law, right? There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So I'm not talking about making people feel condemned or ashamed or any of those. I don't want anyone walking out of here feeling condemned or ashamed or or any of those kinds of things. Why? Because when we fall short, when we make mistakes, when we sin, we go to Jesus Christ and he basically forgives us of our sins. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. I don't care how far I've used it so many times, but I don't care how far I've walked away from God. All I need to do is repent and turn around and he's right there. He has never walked away from you. So I'm not talking about condemnation. I'm not talking about making you feel ashamed. I'm not talking about making you feel guilty. That's not the that's not the point of any of this. The point is that the temptation that Satan brings in our lives can destroy us. And here's the point. What I'm saying is what you should not do is just somehow pretend and justify that you're doing this and doing this and doing this and doing. There's nothing wrong with it. I'm, I'll be honest with you. I'm hanging around with pastors and people in ministry, not just hanging around with people within the church and saying, well, you church people. I'm talking about people on a level spiritually that should know better. And I'm kind of arguing constantly with them saying, no, this is what the word of God says. Well, but now if you just do this, and you have to understand. And I'm thinking to myself and hear me out for a second. I'm thinking to myself, why did Jesus even come to die? This is right and this is fine and this is dandy and there was no problem here. I'm just being legalistic and I'm just being uh, I'm, I'm prudish or whatever, the, whatever words you want to use. But the reality is, I think to myself, why did my savior come to die? And then I read my Bible and I find out exactly why. I know why he came to die because Jeff Greer's heart. OK, I'm not good at heart. 
Jesus said that, you know, the Bible tells us the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. I'm, I'm, I'm a, I, have a, I have a realistic view of who I am. Jesus came to die for me because I'm a sinner. I don't, have, I don't have a problem with saying that because I'm in Christ. And when I fall short and I make a mistake and I fall flat on my face, I can confess my sin to Christ and he will go to the Father in my defense. And I am wiped clean, white as snow. I start, it's like starting all over again every single day. I'm okay with that. Where, I'm, where my argument comes in in this type of deal is when people walk around saying that nothing's wrong. I mean, honestly, go to people in the world and there's really, they can justify almost any behavior in, anyone does in any culture anywhere. And all I'm saying to my brothers and sisters in Christ is, this is what the word of God says. We're going to stand on the word of God and not justify, and I, the sin is a bad word to use, I know, in our culture today, but not justify our sin. And I'm not saying this because I'm, everyone's doing terrible things in their church. I'm saying because I love you for the last, I've, I've been your pastor and loved you for the last 17 years in this church. And, and for the last 35 years, I've invested in people's lives and I've, I've recognized, I've seen this pattern. Satan comes in, did God really say? And then there's confusion. And then confusion leads to disobedience and disobedience leads to you over a cliff with spikes sticking out and your lives are completely ruined. It has nothing to do with, it has nothing to do with legalism. It has to do with love. That God loves me so much that he wants to protect me from the, what the world can basically do into my life and the ripple effect that would have on everything else around me. So when you leave here, do not leave here with the idea that I am being legalistic. Understand the reality that the evil one comes and tempts us and leads us to a point where nah, nothing's really wrong. You're good. You're, you're okay. Second, the choice to doubt God's goodness. That was their second problem, the choice to doubt God's goodness. Once Satan gets you to doubt God's word, then he gets you to question God's motives and integrity. His motives and his integrity. Satan tells Adam and Eve, this is what he tells them. God is a liar. He's lying to you. He's holding out on you folks. There's the reality of it. He, did God really say, well, he said, no, we can eat this and we can do this. The only thing we can't do, oh man. And what he's saying is God's lying to you because he knows that you'll be like him. And he knows that you'll be able to, he's lying to you and he's holding out on you. That's what it is. The reality is everything about God, how God created in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, screams, screams that God is good. Everything about 1 and 2, chapters 1 and 2, screams that God is good. God lovingly provides everything needed for life, okay, and fellowship with him. Everything that we needed, there was nothing that he left out in creation. Everything that you and I needed for peace and joy and contentment and fulfillment, it was all there for life, right? For life and fellowship with him. Despite all of that, despite all that God had provided, they believed the lie that God was somehow withholding something that, would, that, that they needed. You know, to, to really be complete and fulfilled and content. That, that God is somehow holding, he's holding out on us. He, he, that terrible God, okay, who created us just to make us miserable, is just, he's holding, he's holding out what we, something that we really needed to be complete. He does the same exact thing today. 
if you only had a little more money, just a little more. Why is he holding out on you? Because, if, you know, you don't need much. Just a, just a little. What a, what a cheapskate. What a liar. If he just give you, just torturing you. He just give you, then you'd be complete. Then you'd be fulfilled. Then you'd be content. You know, you don't feel loved. You know, what, what you really, if you would just sleep with that guy, he'd love you. That's what's holding it all back. It's not him. It's you. You're not. If you just do, then he would love you. You know, if, if, you would, if, you had, if I just had a little more fame, if I had a bigger platform, if I just had a little more recognition, then I would be able to, and, and that would just bring me to, I would just be so complete. If, listen, if you were just more popular in school, that's where, that's where the, your lack of contentment is coming from. You're, if you just had more popularity, and what you need to do to get more popular, you know, it's not, a, I'm not asking for big compromises. Just compromise on this and go to this thing and do this and do that and, you know, blah. Just do all these things and you'll, then you'll be more popular. And we all know that once you're more popular and you, we laugh about it in our minds when I'm saying it from this stage. But when it, when he's whispering that in your ear, if you were just more popular, people would like you more. They'd love you more. They'd treat you better. You'd, you'd be finally that hole in your heart would be filled because everyone would blah 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 and then your life is trashed and ruined and you're pulled from the presence of God and you make worse and worse decisions and you wonder how did I get here and then um, this is just me okay being sharing a little bit what I was thinking this week I find it fascinating that I'm raising my hand I'm, I'm including myself in all of you I find it fascinating that human beings make their own choices Adam and Eve made the decision to walk from the presence of God, to leave the presence of God. We as human beings make our own decisions not based upon what God's word says, not based upon being in the presence of God and seeking his will for what we're supposed to do. We make all these decisions and then we get to the point where our life is messed up and what do we do? Who do we blame? We blame God. I can't believe you put me in this position. How could you let me? I can't believe you'd allow. I can't believe this. You're, do, you're doing this to me. That's really that. You're, God, you're doing this to me. Wait a second. You didn't talk to me. You didn't consult me. You didn't pray. You didn't ask. You didn't seek. You didn't enter into my presence. And you make all the decisions. And then at the end, you blame him. That's what Satan wants us to do. God is terrible. See, if you were more popular, to be content. Here's the reality. Paul said it. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty and want. I can do all things to Christ who gives me strength. Everything we need, everything we need to be fulfilled and content and complete in this world is found in Jesus Christ. We need nothing outside of him. Rather than trusting God's goodness, they decided that what they needed was found in creation itself and not in the presence of God. What they really needed to be happy and content was not found in the presence of God. It was found in the creation itself. It's the same lie that we talked about a few weeks ago, that if you just, you know, more things, more stuff, more world, whatever the case may be, then we're going to have what we really need. We're going to be content. We're going to be complete. Whenever you allow, listen, whenever you allow, whenever we allow ourselves to question God, when we allow ourselves to question God's goodness 
and sufficiency. It is, listen, it is a small, it is a very small step to pursuing self-fulfillment through the creation and not the creator. Think about that. When we question God's goodness, when we question God's integrity, when we question God's word, when we question God's sufficiency and what he's provided for us, it is a very small step for us to pursue self-fulfillment through the created instead of the creator. We get trapped. These are all traps. These are traps that we fall into. 2 Peter 1.3 tells us that we have everything we need. Okay? We have everything we need for life and godliness. God has provided everything that we need for life, for living a fulfilled life, and for godliness. And he's done that through the provision of himself, through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We have all those things. We have the power of the risen Christ in us. See, here's the thing. I was, I was, as I was studying it this week, I thought to myself, my hope that's, that him, my hope is built on nothing less, less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. My hope, my, my contentment, my fulfillment, my freedom, my joy, my peace, all of it, my, all of that is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I have everything that I need. Everything I need, I get from God. I need nothing that this world has to offer to bring me contentment and joy and peace. So the question is, do you live? Think about this. Do you live as though God is good and gives you all that you need? Or do, do we live as though God is somehow holding out on us. Man, he's holding out on me. And he's, he's just keeping me from what I really need for life and contentment. Did God really say? Well, he said, he's lying. He knows if you, if you could just, and that's why, and if I, I'll just, I'll just dangle and offer, and if you just, that's where, that's where this all comes from. Last third, okay, the choice to disobey God's command. When you, when you start to doubt God's truth, and you start to doubt God's goodness, it is so easy for you to live a life of disobedience. It's just so easy. It, when, you, when, you, when you doubt God's word, well, God, that's not true. I don't need to look at that anymore. And then you start to doubt God's goodness. If God was good, if he was really good, then why and why and why and why? Yeah, why, why, why? If he was really good, he wouldn't do this. And then all of a sudden, it's so much easier to live a life of disobedience. Adam and Eve believed the lies rather than God's word. And then they chose to provide for themselves. They left the presence of God and became the Lord of their own lives. That's really what it boils down to. I'm going to make choices for myself. Their, their choice was ultimately devastating. When they disobeyed God, when they disobeyed God, they didn't find what they were looking for. When they disobeyed God, their eyes, you know, Satan says, your eyes will be open. When they disobeyed God, their eyes were opened. But now, not how they thought they would be open. It's not what they thought it would be. They didn't, when they opened their eyes, they didn't see what they expected to see. It was a trap. 
They were led down and it was a trap. We need to realize that anything, anything that takes the place of God's presence in our lives is a trap. Whether it's sex, whether it's this, whether it's... I'll use alcohol again. Okay, I'll just pick on that for this morning. All right? I only, Pastor, I only drink it to get to sleep. I just need it for, to get to sleep. I only drink because I'm, I'm very socially, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not really outward socially, and, and I drink and then it lightens me up and I'm more social. I only drink because you have no idea what I'm going through and I'm so stressed out and overwhelmed and I have so many struggles and so I drink to overcome my struggles. I totally understand that. My philosophy of life, I've told many of you this already, my philosophy of life when I was younger, up till 17 years old, almost 18 years old was, I hate everyone I don't know and I hate most people I do know. And that was a very well thought through philosophy of life. I was a different person than I am now because life taught me Life taught me that I should hate everyone I don't know, not trust anyone I don't know, okay, and hate most people I do know because of the way they behave and the way they act towards you. Don't trust them. Watch out for them. That's what I. That's that's how I. That's how I lived. That's how I lived my life. And so I would drink myself into oblivion every opportunity I had. My mother really never knew it. But she, you know, she'd go out or whatever else. I, I get out my own river. Why? Because I hated life, just wanted to make it go away. So many struggles, so many difficulties, so much bitterness and anger in my life. And I just try to wash it away. You know what's funny? It never got washed away. And God plucked me from that right in the nick of time. And sa- that's why I said he saved me. He saved me right in the nick of time. If you have trouble socially, okay, getting engaging people socially, why not spend time in the presence of God asking him to help you overcome your social anxiety and struggles and put yourself in difficult situations asking God, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Give me the strength to interact with these people on I don't need I don't need something else. I don't need a drug. I don't need to be anesthetized in order to do this. If you're struggling with something in your life, then go before God and ask him to help you overcome those struggles. Let him walk you through the struggle. Let him carry you through your struggles. Let God do those things because what happens is alcohol or drugs, whatever they offer you in the beginning, it numbs your mind, it makes you feel whatever. I understand all that. I'm not going to deny what it makes you feel. Okay, but ultimately, you no longer do it because it helps you be social. You do it because you have to. And then the trap is sprung and you're miserable. You don't drink anymore because it helps with something. You drink so it doesn't hurt. And you're trapped. And it's that way with sex. It's that way with drugs. And I'm not being, oh, don't have sex and don't take drugs. and that's, You know that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the evil one who leads us down a path and chooses, tries to get us to make choices that destroy, that destroy our lives. And I'll be honest with you, I love you all too much to stand up here and whitewash things and candy coat it for you because life is too difficult and you need to know the truth. You need to hear the truth, you need to understand the truth, and you need to act upon the truth and not act upon lies because that destroys your life. Rather than becoming like God, what they thought, they found themselves cut off from the very source, again, of life itself. They cut off from the presence that they once enjoyed. They, they also, okay, found out the impact of their sin on their own relationship. Uh, this is just Jeff Gurr's opinion, okay, but based upon the scripture. I guarantee the first argument between husband and wife came right after this choice. They had nothing to argue about before that. Once that came in, the intimacy between them and God 
boom. The intimacy between each other, all kinds of issues. Wait, you're naked, I'm naked, boom. Changed everything. Changed everything. They saw that impact. See, disobedience to God's truth doesn't bring peace. It doesn't bring joy. It doesn't bring, it doesn't bring contentment. It doesn't bring completeness. It doesn't bring freedom. What it brings is spiritual death and bondage. I want you to bow your heads with me as we close. I want you to please continue to listen, though. Please continue to listen. We need to ask ourselves. I want you to just go before the Lord, hear my words, and then I want you to spend time with him. We need to ask ourselves, do we believe the lies that God's word is not true and that God is holding out on us? Do we believe that? That God is a liar and, 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 and don't, oh, I would never call him a liar, but do we live like he is? That God is lying to us and he's holding out on us. Have we followed those lies down a path of disobedience and allowed our own desires to dictate and direct the course of our life? Answer, the, answer that question in your own heart. Have I become the Lord of my own life and allowed that the lies to, to lead me down a path of disobedience? One thing I've learned over the years, if you answer yes to those questions, things don't end well for you. We need to seek God's presence. We need to trust God's word. Trust his goodness and follow the path that he has designed for our lives. As Jen plays this song as we close, I want to give all, each one of us, I want all of us to have a chance to enter into his presence. Some of you just need to listen. You just need to listen. Just be still and listen. Some of you need to give your lives to Christ. Romans 3.23 says that we've all sinned and we've fallen short of the glory of God. But my friends, with the first Adam caused separation, the second Adam restored. Romans 10.9 says, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, then we will be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Some of you, there's no magic formula to this, just need to confess your sin before God and say, I want you to become the Lord and I want you to become the director and savior of my life. That's what you need to talk to God about. You need to listen Some need to repent of your sin. You just need to repent. Ask God to forgive you for your sin and move forward. Some need to make decisions to change, to change direction. You're going in the wrong direction. You're about to make a decision you know is wrong. Don't do it. Enter into his presence. Let him guide you out of that situation. And some people need to forgive so that you would set yourself free. Hear me say that again. Some of you need to forgive so that you set yourself free. Because some of you are doing things based upon the bitterness and anger in your own heart. And you're acting out upon that bitterness and anger. You need to forgive so that you can set yourself free. Whatever it is for you, there's probably many more things. Let's spend just the last few moments here in the presence of God. If you want to get on your knees, get on your knees. If you, if you want to stand, you can stand. Whatever, whatever posture you want, just 
spend this time in the presence of God as we close and Jen sings a song. We thank you for this time that we can spend with you. Spend this time in your presence. We thank you that you love us so much that you sent your son Jesus Christ to die on a cross for us. So then we fall short, because we all do. That we have one who goes to the Father in our defense and speaks for us. Father, whatever it is that's been holding us back, we pray that you would forgive us. Let us start fresh and new this morning. Let us leave this place with encouragement, with a freshness, knowing that we're complete in you knowing that we can find ultimate contentment in you, knowing that joy and peace comes only from you. We give you this time. We give you our lives and pray that we would offer up our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to you. May this be our spiritual act of worship this morning. We love you. We praise you. We thank you. And we call on you for the help that we need to overcome the evil one who is constantly, constantly pulling us from your presence. Hold us tight. Hold on to us. In your son's name we pray. Amen.